Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Awesome. You want that? Good. How are we, church? That's not convincing. Newcastle's a lot louder than you. I hope you know that. We talk about our team. How are you? Yeah, that's getting there. You're better. Turn and give somebody a high five. You, you don't want to be beaten by Newcastle, do you? Newcastle. That's why I say it in Melbourne, Chris. Yep. Melbourne. Yeah, so they say. I don't sound like Alabama to you, do I? 36 years nearly been here. Yawn. Already bored. I haven't even started. Lord have mercy. That's your daughter. Oh, okay. Working hard. You're pushing her, Chris. No, hubby's pushing her. Huh? Huh? Booking.com's pushing Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't book on them last time. So, I don't sound like Alabama, do I? Did you watch Forrest Gump the other night? I've been here thir- almost 36 years. I've lost a lot of it. I go to Alabama and they say, you sound funny. Hey, do a real one. Oh, yeah. Well, Mom always said, stupid is, it stupid does. That's a real one. Or like my granddaddy used to say, boy, she looks, hot. She looks like she's been rode hard and put up with. That sounds dirty, doesn't it? That's horse talk. Nothing. Look, where did your mind just go, Chris? I saw. You didn't hear. I said, let me say it so you can understand. Sometimes when you see a woman looks a little bit homely, you know, homely in America is not good at home. Okay. My granddad, you say, she looks like she's been rode hard and put up wet. Got it? Yeah. Horse talk. You never put a horse away after, after he's sweat and lathered and you never put him away wet. Yeah, I know where your mind went, but that's Alabama talk. Yeah, yeah. Or if, if your kid's not doing too well, you say, boy, I'll smack you like a red-headed stepchild. You know, things like that. So I don't talk like that anymore, do I? What? I get every red-headed person offended when I say that. So my mother was a redhead, and she did all the smacking anyway. Yeah, well, they tell me th- nearly 36 years here, and I still sound like I've got the whole thing, but... We were back in Alabama in January. My wife's not from Alabama. So let's get a couple of things straight here, first and foremost. Number one, just because I'm from Alabama and wear cowboy boots, I am not a redneck. Number two, I am not a Yankee, never have been, never will be. There's a difference. That would be like me calling you a Kiwi or a Pom. Yeah, there you go. My people killed Yankees, and her people killed my people's. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the end result. That's all right. Just the process. So, no, I'm not a Yankee, not a redneck. Just get it right. But when we were there, we're sitting around the table, my two brothers, their wives, and us, and me and my brothers just, we slipped into the groove of Alabama. And she just started laughing because she's not from Alabama. She is a Yankee. 
a true blue. You, you don't understand the difference, do you? You think all Americans are Yankees. Not so. Yankees are north, and they're the ones that we used to kill and uh, tried to take over the nation. Um, and, uh, and we're rebels down south. I'm a rebel born, I'm a rebel bred, and when I die, I'll be a rebel dead. Full stop. That's our motto. Our flag only has 13 stars on it, not 50. <laughs> ah, Chris, you'll get it. That's good. I love hanging out with Chris. He's a man's man, motorcycle, rugby. My son, you, you play the union rugby. My son played both codes. He's big. He's built like a brick dunny. He's, isn't he, Simon? Simon's seen my son. He's a... Uh, yeah, you wouldn't, want to, you wouldn't want to cross him. So he'd love playing football with you and Hudson and your boys and everything and just hanging out in motorbikes. He does pig killing up in Mackay. They talk about hunting in Alabama. Well, what about pig killing in Mackay? And they do it with a knife and a dog. Poor pig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I go back, we go hunting, and every greenie at church gets offended. But I just go, hey, it's culture, you know. Uh, I was having afternoon tea with Bill Johnson last year, and we are talking about what rifles we shoot and what reds we drink. Red blood. No, no, no. Um, so it's just common. You go in Bill's office, and there's dead animals and all kind of tro- That's our trophies. Anyway, women in my church say, Pastor Keith, every time you look through that scope and you, you're about to shoot that deer, I hope you see me standing between you and the deer. And I said, well, sweetheart, you better duck because I have no problem pulling that trigger. That's Alabama. So just why it is, it's culture. You go fishing, poor fish. And you even jerk that hook out of his jaw and throw him back in. Like what other fish is going to kiss him after that? So, but I like hanging out with Chris. He's, he's a great guy. You don't have the Ducati anymore. And you don't have a Harley. Are you sick? What have you got now? Because we went riding on, well, we went riding, you were on the Ducatis and we are on the Harleys and stuff like that but yeah love hanging out with him he's an awesome man awesome man of faith hey it's been nearly two years i think since we're here april 2015 we missed last year so i want to thank pastors chris and ruth for releasing us last year let me let me share the story with you what happened um this is our vision giving month up at victory in newcastle um we we planted the churches but they're all released now and we have two campuses and three services throughout the city and our church actually operates in eight different locations to make church work. We sold our property. We did the exact opposite of you. We got rid of property and we're homeless now and, and uh, operating out of eight locations. We've got our before and after school centers, our three services in different locations. We have a ministry center, a place where our seniors meet. Well, what else am I missing? Anyways, eight locations. Uh, we will own properties again, uh, but not one because we have a different vision than just one central kind of campus. Uh, but what happened, we were having our vision month last year in July, and we're still in it right now. Our, um, our young adults pastor is preaching today, and I'm letting the younger generations preach two of the four sermons into vision month, which I've never done before. I've obviously done the lion's share, had a guest, but this time I'm letting the young guns talk about the future. And... Uh, and so anyway, last year, on the day we were to take the offering and the pledges, I'm getting up, hosting presents, got my eyes closed, getting ready for the Holy Spirit to do something, and I hear a ruckus going on, and people are calling my name. Well, our, make a long story short, our man, a man who is our retired seniors pastor had fainted 
We thought he was dying in the service. Literally, okay, he was dying. And so we had to clear the auditorium, send everybody home early while the paramedics worked on him. And uh, paramedics worked on him. And, and so we didn't get to take the offering. So I had to ring Pastor Chris and say, hey, look, I can't come next week. I'm going to have to take the offering the following week because we, we weren't in. So I was left that week going, what the? What is that all about, God? Trying to build faith and vision and trying to tell them we're building the church and a man dies in the service, which was incredible. So these guys released us. So we didn't get to come last year. And so what's that? No, he didn't die. He didn't die. He should have after making such a mess like that. Well, he'd have gone to heaven for heaven's sakes. No, I didn't shoot him. I didn't shoot him. He's an awesome man. He's, he's, an, in, he's an incredible man. Um, so I, I'm, the whole week in between, I'm going, God, what are you doing? I, do you ever have days where you say to God, what are you doing? I just don't understand. I think you get bored and you look down from heaven and go, I'm bored. I need to do something. Where's Keith? I need to mess his week up or something, you know? And, uh, and this was one of those weeks. And I'm going, God, what are you doing? In the week between the two Sundays. Now, for the last few years, finances have been tight in Newcastle. I don't know if the, the mining thing has hit you, but it's, real, it's like we had a delayed GFC. And, uh, and things were really tight. I'm going, God, we needed this. What are you doing? One of our members, family in our church, that week between the two Sundays, tithed, not vision giving, tithed $200,000. And then on the Vision Sunday, the next week, I'm, I'm at the front. We're in the prayer time before the service. And I'm still thinking, God, what are you doing? Another family came up and the husband whispered in my ear and said, glad you didn't take the offering last week because in the week between, God spoke to us and told us to give 100000 today. So I'm going, all right, God, I, I kind of get it. All of this is taking place because people believe in the legacy that we are building here for generations. Now, Fiona's going to follow me, aren't you, Fiona? Great. I I did a PowerPoint for you and everything. There we go. And that's when it hit me that we're privileged to be a people who are called and trusted with a vision of building his house for generations. Now, this is going to go totally counter-cultural to the day. We are such a now-moment people. We want everything. And my mother used to call me the minute man. Keith, you want everything and you want it yesterday. And the millennial generation is even worse. I don't know about you, but I stand in front of the microwave tapping my toes going, come on, hurry up. Things we used to take hours to cook, I can't wait 10 minutes. And we're the now generation, and it somehow slips our mind that we're not just paying a bill now. We're not just getting a building now. We're not just doing a ministry now. We are building for generations to come. And that's what this thing kind of got into me that, that we're here to make a lasting impact, an impact that is going to well and truly outlive each one of us. Think about that for a minute. I heard Pastor Paul Scanlon recently, he came to our city. Ah, good. Um, and he said something that turned a light on for me. He, he talked about building a church or a ministry that wouldn't only last for generations, but it would take generations to achieve. Listen, and he began to speak about something. I, who's ever been to Europe? Put your hands up. All right. Great. You're better off than I am. I'm from Alabama. I've hardly... You know, I've never been any further west than Texas till I flew to Sydney. L- literally. We never visited Australia till we moved here. Stupid is as stupid does. I'm telling you. 
So, but he spoke about the cathedrals in Europe and how those cathedrals take generations to build and how we in the West have got to get our minds off this thing that we've got to do it now, we've got to do everything now, and we've got to leave no stone unturned. And, and so this is a picture of what's called uh, La Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. It's a basilica by Gaudi. Most people, who, by the way, if you ever Google it and you say, I'm going to Spain and I want to see this cathedral, you have to purchase tickets ahead of time because it is so popular. But that's not the story. The story is this. Um, it's been under construction since 1882. Listen, that's not an error. And it's not expected to be completed until 2026, which means 144 years of work spanning over 3.6 generations for a building. Well, I want to tell you something. Creating and leaving a legacy is about doing something significant that not only lasts a lifetime, it outlives the time that it exists in. That's a legacy. Now, I, I find it hard to get my head around that because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a boomer. I'm a child of the West. Everything is supposed to be about me. My name, my ministry, my results, my dreams, my efforts, my church. I, I don't even try to call it my church anymore because it's not. It existed before me and it'll exist after me. And you see, David had a desire to build a house for the presence of God. I mean, deep within his heart, I'm going to build this place where the Ark of the Covenant will sit and we will, we will just glory in the presence of God. And he knew that it was going to be something he was going to have to sow into. And yet it dawned on him one day, I'm not even going to see or reap the benefits and the result of what I'm building. I, I had one of the, I'll come back to the scripture in a minute. This is not in there. I had one of these prophetic words when we were in Wyala um, given to me. One of these ones you love to hate and hate to love. You ever get prophecies like that? You know, it's like, I wish they were just things that you loved. Um, and I got this prophecy, and it said, you have a heart like David. You're a warrior for the kingdom. I'm going, like that, you know. I was a wrestler in high school. Not that silly TV stuff. I was the one they do, you know, with the tights on. They put the sock in the front. and I don't know why they do that. We didn't do that. We did not. You ever seen that in the Olympics? They'll tuck a sock in. I don't know what they're hiding, but never mind. But I did that. The Olympic-style wrestling. I was city champion. Uh, I, martial arts for decades, stuff like that. I'm a contact sport person. Love sport. His brother's in our church. I don't tell you, try to take his brother down. It's like tackling an oak tree. Lord have mercy. Um. So you've got a heart like David. You're a warrior for the kingdom. You're going to do battles for the kingdom. You're going to take ground for the kingdom. And I'm going, great, stop right there. And the little three-letter word you hate to hear came up. You know what it is? But. I went, oh, stop. But you will never build the grand temple for the glory of God because you've shed too much blood. I thought, thanks for coming. You know, who wants a prophecy like that? I hated that. And I, I wrestle with that prophetic word to this day, and yet it's true. And I, I finally came to realize and dawned on me, the best that my church will ever be will be beyond my lifetime by people that I've raised up, not by myself. 
And my job isn't to build the name of Keith Edwards or the church of Keith Edwards or the ministry of Keith Edwards, but to raise up generations who will raise up generations for the kingdom of God. Okay? Now, that's, it's not an easy one to take because I look at my, 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 my peers and mentors and mentees and all them, and they've got these incredible buildings and great ministries and the ministry of and stuff like that. And I go, yeah, thanks for the prophecy, God. Somebody's got to break ground for the kingdom. Somebody's got to kill giants and take nations and stuff like that. So David had this in his heart. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 2, he's getting near the end of his life. He now knows, I'm never going to see the house of God. Now, he could have done what a lot of us would have done and maybe even do at times where we go, well, stuff it then. I just won't do anything. If that's the way you're going to be, God, then do it yourself. You're going to treat me like that. We get a wound in the soul. I don't know if you've ever gotten angry at God. If you're honest, you probably have. And you say, well, if you want to do it that way, God, then do it without me. David didn't do that. David stood on his feet and he said, listen to me. He's addressing the congregation of Israel now. Listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, it ain't going to happen. Not in my lifetime, but it is going to happen beyond my lifetime. For the footstool of our God, and I even made plans to build it. I want to tell you something. First and foremost, creating a legacy is a matter of the heart. It's It's not a matter of what you achieve as much as it is as a matter of what you believe and are passionate about. It begins with a devotion of the heart. And in 29, verse 3, David said, Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God. I've had people say to me in past, Well, Pastor Keith, you guys didn't use the money the way that I thought you should use it, so I don't think I'll ever give again. I've, I've had somebody say that to me. You know what I said to them? Well, do you want your money back? Because I don't want you to ever have any strings attached to it. Because number one, that means I owe you something. Number two, that means God owes you something. And number three, that takes the blessing off of what you've just done, both for you and me. So do you want it back? We actually hold money in check for quite a while just in case somebody does want their money back. We'll give it back to them. Unless they're just praying paying their credit card debt. We won't give it back for that. So, giving to enable a legacy is about the heart. What we sow and build into is what we love. Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not the issue of today that's so demanding. I will, I will only give to what I get out of. Mm-mm. It's not what I get out of it. It's what I put into it. Listen to me. Listen to me. David's passion for God's purpose was greater than his own need, even his own dream. Can I say that again? David's desire was greater than any need he had or any dream he had. Listen to me. We know, we pastors have conversations like this often with people. And it goes something like this. Pastor, usually comes like this. Pastor, the Lord's told me to leave. Why are you leaving? Well, the church down the road has this ministry and that activity and that program, and I think it'll suit us better as a family. 
So he told us to go there. I go, so what's just happened to our relationship? What about covenant? Matter of fact, nowadays, I don't even ask that because the moment they say the Lord said, I just go, well, what can I say? End of story. Because I've either got to say, you're lying, you're deaf, or you're dumb. Stupid is. And to do that, I'm going to offend them. I've just learned to go, what do you want me to say? But what it ends up is this. They are church not hopping. They are church shopping. Have you you ever kind of decided I'm not shopping at Coles anymore now that Aldi's here? I'm going to Aldi's. That's why people, yeah, see? But that's the mentality people carry to church. See, I, I would much more than speaking about vision or money or anything like that, I would much more like to talk about what really is the community of covenant. What does that look like? Because when some people say this kind of thing, but what it really ends up is, I'm not into the vision, I'm into what you can give me and what I get out of it. And when I find that I can't get out of it any longer what I'm wanting, I'm going over here to start getting out of it what I want. That's not building for a legacy. Building for a legacy says we are here because of what we put into it and what we do through it with you. That's legacy. And I'm telling you, that's rare today. It's good, but it's rare. We are so baptized in this modern mentality that it is all about me. But I, I need to tell you that building a legacy means that if we are really into vision, really into legacy, then we should expect God to give us plans that are going to outlive us. We should see something in faith that we're never going to see in the physical because it's going to outlive us. And David actually, you, you go back to chapter 28, verse 11 and 12. He's got the plans for the temple. God downloaded to him. Boom. You know, God says, you're not going to do it, David, but here's the plans. How cruel is that? Like, that's the big trick of heaven. It's called vision. God lets you see what's going to be bigger than you and possibly greater than you and outlive you. The big trick of heaven. Jesus said, I got a vision. I got a dream. It's called the church. I'll build my church. And he never saw one built in his lifetime. Did he? (laughs) But he knew it was coming. Because he said, just days before that, and you're going to do greater works than these. Who's he talking about? The church. You're going to do greater works than I ever did. You're going to have something. David had plans for the temple. He, he gives to his son. He knows, I've got a dream about this, and I know it's going to outlive me. The, let me show you the photo of that basilica in 2010. Now, if you notice, there are cranes around it. That's seven years ago, 82 years after Gaudi died. Two generations after him, look at it. And they're saying, you've still got work to do for another 16 years which is amazing, isn't it? Because what we do, what we sow into is going to go far beyond us. It's our plan. It's the inheritance for generations. We, we believe at Victory, we just got this stupid vision that we're, we're, going, to, we're going to obtain, fire, we call them fireplaces all across the city. Places where people can come and they can experience revival fire of God. Where they can be built, they can be discipled, they can be equipped, they can be sent out from uh, and, and so we're doing that. These are just pictures of our generations. We do it from the youngest to the most senior. The youngest is not just about 
babysitting kids and telling them stories, but teaching them how to be disciples of Jesus. The same when you get to seniors, we're not just kind of chaplaining you until you pass on to the next life. We're trying to get them also to say you're still a builder for the kingdom of God. Generations. Generations. We have a family a number of years ago that the, the wife, I'm glad she heard, I'm not cynical about people saying God said, I just think it needs to be tested. I think it needs to be tested. I think it needs to be confirmed. And then I think it needs to be pliable. Because I know when God tells me, like he told me to preach this this morning, uh, which I didn't want to preach this, because I want to preach about, I want to preach about the Father heart of God and covenant community and all that stuff. And Pastor Chris is gracious. You know, he just goes, yeah, okay, look, preach what's on your heart, but really be good if you speak into our vision giving. And I know what he's saying by that. Yet he was being gracious and saying, I'll accept if you don't. And, and I can stand here and I can say, look, the Lord led me to preach this this morning. He did. Absolutely did, because I didn't want to. That's sometimes how I know it's God. He tells me to do stuff I don't want to do. Isn't that true? So true. Um, but I know within God telling me, there are the margins of my personality in there. God never speaks into a vacuum. You know, the only time God ever spoke into a vacuum was when the first day he said, let there be. And it really wasn't a vacuum because there was heaven. But there was no tangible creation. But, you know, when people go, oh, God just told me this. I want to say, what were you thinking at the time? Not that you had had spicy food the day before and bad dreams that night. I'm saying he speaks into our thoughts, into our words. But we had a family who, which is weird because they weren't really that locked in, which is strange. And that's, this is how I know it's God because I would have never expected this family to do this a number of years ago. When they heard of the vision for generations and what God wants us to do across the city, um, the wife and the husband came to see me, and I thought, no, oh, this is interesting. They never come see me about anything. They're kind of aloof. And the husband said, my wife knows she's heard God, and I know when she hears God because it's outrageous. But she heard God, and we're just here to tell you what he told us. And I thought, oh, here we go. And here's what they said. The Lord's told us to give a million dollars to the vision. And they did. What the? This is Newcastle. This is not Northern Beaches, Sydney. This Newcastle. And I'm still staggered to this day about that. A vision for generations. See, all of this is creating a legacy for generations, and it's made possible by a spirit of generosity. It's generations for generations. David said, Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I provided for this, holy temple. Now, if you read chapters earlier, you know what it says? David gave thousands, 100,000 talents of gold out of the national treasury. He gave gold, he gave silver. In 2000, they tried to calculate what would that be equivalent in U.S. dollars around the year 2000, and they said probably around $45 billion. Now, David had won so many battles for the kingdom of God, he could give $45 billion billion dollars out of the national treasury 
I, nations are trillions in debt. David's given $45 billion to a building. But you know what he said? Beyond that, I want to give out of my life savings. I want to give out of my kids' inheritance. I want to give out of my holiday fund. Boomers are notorious for spending their kids' inheritance on holidays right now. Landed in Perth, big sign, right as you exit the airport. Uh, Boomers, live life. Spend your kids' inheritance now. Travel. And that's what we do. David is saying, I know my life is almost over. You know, I, I had this sobering thought, not thought, comment from my older brother. We were out hunting, as we do, in Alabama. I know, you'll get over it. You'll have to forgive me. It's culture. Um, we're out hunting, and my brother looks at me, because it is true, I'll be 60 in six months. And we'll be married 40 years in six months. My wife robbed the cradle. I was the baby. She is older than me. I get told she doesn't look it, but that's because I don't die. Anyway, I know I'll keep. I have to try everything I can because it's different at home. Anyway, um, so we're out hunting, holding rifles, and my brother looks at me and he goes, Keith, how's it feel? Um, Three quarters of your life is now over, and you're going to spend the rest of your life piddling in your pants. And I said, you do realize I'm holding a high-powered rifle right now, don't you? It's a sobering thought when all of a sudden life takes a pause and says, you're in the fourth quarter, pal. That's true. David was further down the track than fourth quarter, and here's what he's saying. It's no longer about the money and the property and all the assets that I leave. And people go, wasn't he wonderful at his funeral because he left us all his stuff? He said, no, my devotion is to put it into the house of God. Where are those people today? Because generosity is manifested in two ways. Talked about it this morning. Pastor Chris did regular sowing. That's by people who believe in the ongoing life and ministry and opportunities of the house of God. Um, We call it tithing. Um, And try not to apologize for it, but we call it tithing. Uh, Someone once said, a non-Christian is amazed that 10% of all we earn goes back to God, and a Christian is amazed that 90% of all that is God's is entrusted to us. Why don't you look at it that way? By the way, the family that tithed $200,000 last year, they tithed $100,000 the year before and $100,000 the year before, and they just released their tithe this year of $220,000. Now, this is Newcastle again. So, so just think with me for a minute. 100, 100, 200, 220. What's happening here, people? The promise of God, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you can't contain it. Their business is getting blessed so much, it just keeps increasing, which, which is amazing. It's God, isn't it? Something significant happens when we tithe. Number one, we honor our first fruits as being holy to the Lord. All the way back in the Old Testament, the tithe is called holy. Now, we had this movement of people around Newcastle who are just so anti-anything we call church. One of the things they were vehemently anti about, and it went through some of the churches, even ours. Tithe is Old Testament. It's law. You guys are just doing it to pay your salaries and your bills and all this kind of stuff. And it got into the people in church, and they start thinking, right, we're under grace, not under law. 
My first thing is this. So where in the New Testament did God say it's no longer holy? Mm -hmm. Where did God say you no longer have to keep this practice because it's no longer holy? Where did Jesus or the writers or Paul say you're exempt from tithing in the New Testament under grace? As a matter of fact, grace should take you above and beyond law, not below law. So it, it, when we tithe, we honor God with our first fruit. Second, the windows of heaven are opened. Can you find any other scripture? I can't, Chris. I'm pretty good at this. I've been doing it a while. I've been preaching for 40 years. Not straight, but I mean 40 years. And, and I'm, it's like the old preacher said, I'm not preaching right now. I'm telling you the truth. So... I can't find a scripture, that, any other scripture where God not only gives permission but commands. Test me in this. Do you know of any? No. I've checked every refidex I can find. Only in tithing. I will open the windows of heaven, pour out so much blessing. And then third, the house that we love prospers and does well. It always bothers me that we as pastors have to justify this thing called tithing that we have to ask for it. We feel like Oliver sometimes, please, church, can I have some more? It's not right. We had Richard, Pastor Richard Botta, you know, Pastor Richard. I got a little bit brave and asked a guest preacher to preach on giving. Pastor Richard, this is not my thing, I'm telling you. And Pastor Richard said this when he was at our church, our way of giving is God's way of providing. You want your church to prosper? You want it to provide? You want it to care for people? Give. It doesn't just drop out of... You know, when I was a kid, my granddad made me believe there was a money tree. I was smart, though. I knew the money was coming out of his pocket, but I don't care. I still stood under the tree and looked up because I knew he was going to drop it. I didn't care whether it came from the tree or his pocket. I was going to play the game as long as I got the money. Stupid is. But as I said to you guys, look, giving's the most natural way of providing that begins... By giving to the house of God, the place we call home. Look, we, we love our home. We believe in our home. We, we provide for our home so our home can live and minister out of overflow. That's, that's the windows of heaven pouring out blessing, not scraping the bottom of the barrel. I, you know, preaching on this topic, I, I do not like it. If, if it were up to me and I never had to talk about this stuff, I would put bins at the back of church and go, just give as you leave or come in. I don't like talking about it. And the reason I don't like talking about it, Janet and I, well, we met at this Christian university that was started by a mega church, and I mean a mega church, big Christian university. The pastor had this faith thing on him for, for this kind of stuff, for property, for money. For, and, and every Sunday morning, we got a 30-minute message beyond the message on giving. And he'd bring up people to give testimonies and university students who were blessed, all kinds of things. And I just kind of, I got something in my spirit, you know. I thought, you know, in my church, I don't want to do that. We actually saw him uh, one year fast and pray and believe for a $700 million miracle. Oh, Jesus, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd take 5% of that. Anyway, I just got something in my spirit going, I don't really want to talk about that, knowing that Aussies in particular don't like you talking about money. People out in the community, you've got to get your hair cut by somebody first time. What do you do? Tell them. Are you one of those churches that ask for money? And I just, I didn't like it, you know. So I've wrestled with it over the years, but in the irony of God, he worked in a way that says, you need to come back to this because this is core. So we were going to the States um, in January 
and hanging out with my peers and stuff like that. And my mentor asked me, he's got a church right outside of Washington, D.C. His church is filled with, you know, CIA workers, uh, people who work in Congress, all kind of things, really upmarket, up, upper-class church. Boy from Alabama fits well, I'm telling you, with my cowboy boots. And he said, Keith, we're right, we're right in the middle of a series called Heart Management. Yeah, good, I can, I, I can preach on the heart. Um, and we're talking about guard your hearts, wellspring of life, and it's our vision month, and this one is about where you, the, the week you're preaching is where your treasure is, there your heart is. And I went, oh. And he said, I want you to preach on tithing. And I either, you know, everything within me, Janet knows, I felt like contacting him back going, hey, look, I'm not really available to preach. But it was God going, okay, get this right. Because you, you, you're choking off blessing. All right, God, get it right. So I did. And uh, you need to know that uh, I, I, I worked at, well, even Pastor Chris saying, I want you to preach on this. I'm going, oh, Jesus. And, and my board going, yeah, Keith, it's good you got Pastor Richard doing it, but you need to stand up and preach on time. All right, all right, I get the message, God. Because God says in Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. God is the God of overflow, even in this area. So I did what you need to do as a pastor. I got the guy who works in our media department. Hey, man, get online. Look at some current trends on tithing. Find the best you can because I got to talk about this stuff. So he goes online. He comes up with this article by Mike Holmes called What Would Happen If the Church Tithe? March 2016, Relevant Magazine. And it shows the state of things, where they are, and what they could be. Got it? Now, these are American dollars. You need to understand that. Worth a lot more than ours. But you need to understand Americans in church give far better than we do. They get tax exemption even for tithing. How good would that be? That lifted immediately, I'm telling you. So here's his article. He says this, the church of today is not great at giving. This isn't exactly news, but it's a fact. First point, what would happen if the church tithed? Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. Now, that's in America. So even if, you were, even if you were just above average as an Australian congregation, only 25% of the people in here today would be committed to tithe. So stand up. No, 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 don't do that. If you are, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Okay, second point. Second point. Christians are only giving it 2.5% per capita while during the Great Depression they gave it 3.3%. What is that? It doesn't make sense, does it? Okay, okay. Because that's, that's, he goes on and says numbers like that can invoke a lot of guilt, which really isn't the point. The larger point is what would happen if believers were to increase their giving to a minimum, just minimum, of 10%, there'd be an additional, listen, $165 billion for churches to use. Just on the tithe, the global impact would be phenomenal. And here's a few things the church could do with that kind of money. First point, $25 billion could relieve global hunger, starvation, and preventable diseases in five years. Just through tithing from American churches. And you do need to know there are that many American churches, about 400,000. That's a staggering figure. Second point, $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. See, this isn't just about what we get. 
This is about what we could do. Third point. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues. Let me finish this. Specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Next point. 1 billion could fully fund overseas mission work. We wouldn't have to take special offerings. Last point. And we wouldn't have to do vision building because 100 to 110 billion would still be left for additional ministry expansion. There's your 165 billion. Tithing. That's just regular giving, guys. Staggering figures. Don't think about, oh, that's law. Think about what could happen. What the church could do in the world for the kingdom of God. So generosity is also special sowing, which is what you've done, what we've done for the last couple of weeks. It includes times like today where we're sowing into the vision for the future. And you know what this achieves? It creates kingdom investment that lasts for, for, for generations. This is beyond you and me. When you give your money into this offering, this is not about... And I've actually heard Christians say this. So what do we get out of it? I go, legacy? That's enough. Just think legacy. Secondly, this kind of giving opens the way for miracles and breakthrough. Like the testimony you heard this morning. That was a miracle. That that was not a man thing. That was a God thing. For a family to give a million dollars... To a church, that's a God thing. And thirdly, it sows into the legacy that lasts for generations and generations. But can I tell you, as we get ready to wrap up, generosity is not just manifested, it's also imparted. You, You catch a spirit of generosity. You don't learn generosity, you actually catch it by being in it, participating in it, being around people who are generous. Because David practiced generosity, I gave... And I also sowed, but then he prophesied. You practice generosity and you prophetically declare generosity. He said, even though Solomon was young and inexperienced, here's what he said. Verse 20, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong. Now, this is prophetic. Be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord, my, the Lord God, my God is with you. He will not fail or forsake you until all the work of the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. You know what God wants to do here is not just this building being to lock up stage or even enjoyment stage, but God sees far beyond just this building in this place. His work is not finished. You're in a work right now that is just at the beginning. You go, no, 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 it goes all the way back there. No, no, you're in a new season, a brand new season. And this is not just about paying bills around here. This is about building a legacy that's going to go far beyond here. Can you stand for a minute? Let me just do something prophetically. Because, you see, creating a legacy is a matter of the heart. Making spirit, uh, making. The legacy possible is a spirit of generosity, but it all begins with uh, answering a call. Somebody's got to put their hand up and go, yeah, I'll do that. I'll be like that. David stood before the people in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 8, and he said, I charge you in the sight of all Israel. Now, this is all the people. I charge you in the sight of all Israel and of the assembly of the Lord and in, in the hearing of our God 
Be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land. Watch this next phrase. And pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants. How long? Forever. 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 Chapter 29, verse 5, he said, Now who's willing to consecrate himself to the Lord today? In the New Living, it says, Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Let me just uh, release the Spirit of God over this for a second. God, you're so generous. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Again, heaven's best given to generations upon generations to make an impact for the kingdom. Father, there are generations here who have sown, who have given, who have believed and continue to believe. God, I declare over them that as they don't forsake this work and they believe in this work and they so into this work that you, God, have declared over them that you will prosper them. You will never leave them nor forsake them. That, God, you will not only meet their every need, but, God, you will give so generously as you've done before, and you'll do it again and again and again. But, God, I want to declare over us also, we confess to you that the spirit of modernity and the spirit of the world has gotten into us. And we, we just look at things in the wrong way for what we get out of it. And yet, God, you want to give us dreams to see what we sow into it that goes far beyond our lifetime. I pray right now, dreams and visions, not just of lives that are here, but of generations to come. Right now, Holy Spirit, we are a generation of dreams and visions. And I pray right now, impart visions and dreams. God, may they see their children and their children's children. God, may they see them prospering. May they see them building. May they see them growing. May they see them making significant impact in this city, in this region, in this nation and beyond. God, right now, Holy Ghost, just give dreams and visions, dreams and visions, dreams and visions of what is to come. You are a God who delights in showing us what is to come. God, just like you did with David, you downloaded plans for that to happen. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, download plans for businesses to prosper. Download plans right now for families to prosper. Download plans and dreams right now for lives to prosper. Come, Holy Spirit, and do that. You spoke so clearly to David, you can speak to us right now. You live within us. So come and download those plans in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father God. Release them. Release them. Release them. Even dreams that are not yet in existence for businesses that will be a kingdom business for you. God, I pray you're delivering plans even before the start of the business. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. You called us to dedicate ourselves to this. So, Father, right now we stand. 
And we dedicate our hearts and our lives to you again. Father, you're even speaking to some about a second call. David gave from the treasury, but then you ask him to give from his savings. So, Father, there is a second call on sowing into this thing of legacy. So speak clearly about that, Father, where miracles will be released in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.